0: In fact, the title of the sermon today is, Why and How We Celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why and how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, we'll be drawing a lot from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but uh, I'm going to break this down into probably about six different units. We'll talk about the origin of the Lord's Supper, the participants, the physical act of what we're doing here, mental preparation the spiritual benefit and the sacred seriousness of it. So let's start off with the origin. Well, I think as most all of us know that the gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, the synoptic gospels, those three all tell the story of the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died. And each of these three gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, describes Jesus giving thanks and blessing the bread and the cup and giving them to the disciples, saying that the bread is his body and the cup is the new covenant in his blood. So we've heard that mentioned many, many times over the years. So I think we're pretty well aware of the origin of this ceremony or this practice. Now I mentioned that the three gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, the synoptic gospels, tell the story of the bread and the wine. The gospel of John, And we know that John wrote his gospel after the first three writers, so he took a little different take on it. Uh, The Gospel of John doesn't talk about the eating and the drinking, but he does talk about the uh, Last Supper. He focuses on the teachings of Jesus that night and the actions that filled that evening. So his focus was different, probably because he figured the other three gospel writers had already covered that clearly enough. So his uh, take on it is a little bit different, but in Luke chapter 22, I won't turn there, but just for your reference, Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So when he had the Lord's Supper with the apostles the night before his death, he instituted a practice of the eating of the bread and the drinking of the fruit of the vine, as he said, And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And as we study early church history and church history all the way to this present day, we see that believers did just what Jesus told them to do. The Lord's Supper or communion has always been a practice of the church down through the centuries. They reenacted the Last Supper as they did that in remembrance of Jesus and his death, as we will do here again today. But now in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's turn there, I'm going to read in verse 20. In Paul's day it was called the Lord's Supper because Jesus instituted it and Jesus is the focus of it. Notice he says here in verse 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. So this is actually kind of a a letter criticizing them because their practice of the Lord's Supper wasn't correct. He says in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. You all are doing something different. (laughs) You're out of line in the way you're uh, practicing this ceremony or this service. He says, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. It's not done in an orderly fashion. People are just selfishly going about it according to their own desires. So he straightens them out and he says in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in Paul's day it was called the Lord's Supper because Jesus instituted it and it's called many things uh, by Christians. It's called the Lord's Supper, it's called communion, it's called uh, Eucharist, Uh, it's called breaking of bread. It doesn't matter what term we use, they all pertain to the same ceremony. So the actions and the meaning of it are all rooted in what Jesus said and did on that night. He commanded that it be continued. He is the focus and the content of it. So enough for the origin of the Lord's Supper service. Now we move on to the participants of the Lord's Supper service. The Last Supper, as we're going to commemorate it today, or communion, the Last Supper is an act of the gathered family of those who believe in Jesus. In other words, the church. One of the terms for the Lord's Supper, communion, comes from the Greek word koinonia, and it can be translated fellowship. It's about a group of people participating in something together. That's the idea that Jesus had. You know, when he was at the Last Supper, he didn't give a, bread, a piece of bread to all of the disciples and say, well, go home and eat this. You know, do it in the privacy of your own home. No, he said, we're going to do this together as a group. It's a fellowship thing. And that's why we have the communion service at church when we're all gathered here together. Now on a rare occasion, we can take communion to somebody who's in the hospital or we can take communion to somebody who's in a nursing home and we have done that and from time to time we will do that. But that's uh, an exception to the rule. The whole concept of communion is a group of people meeting together, believers in Jesus Christ, and taking it together as a group. Here in uh, chapter 11, verse 17, let let me look here, I think there's uh, verse 18, he says, in the first place I hear that when you come together as a church, so they're taking the Lord's Supper and they knew that they did it when they came together. In verse 20, it says something similar, when you come together. In verse 33 of the same chapter, he says, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, (laughs) to have this meal, it's a communal thing. It's a fellowship thing. Also in verse 34, he says, if anyone is hungry, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So five times in this one chapter, he talks about the church coming together to take the Lord's Supper. So the Bible doesn't talk about taking communion at home alone and shunning the body of Christ. I had a person ask me or say to me, they told me what they were going to do, that, well, they, they didn't feel that they needed to come to church. They said, I'm just going to take communion at home. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it really talk about taking communion at home. It talks about taking it in community with your fellow believers. Uh, you know, over the years, just conversations having with, with different people. You know, I talked some time ago about my wife and I talking to a person who felt like they were Christians, but they didn't go to church. <laughs> and we were kind of surprised and asked them why. And they said, well, We're (laughs) antisocial. We'd rather not hang around in a big group of people with church people, which is, when you think of it, kind of ridiculous. You know, God does not call us to be Christians individually. He calls us to be in communion with fellow believers. That's the whole reason that God created the church and instituted the church. And you need to be able to get along with church people. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. And that's like saying to Jesus Christ, well, uh, Lord, I love you, but I, I can't stand those people. I, I hate those church people, so I'm going to stay home. I'm just going to you know, do my thing at home and maybe watch church on television. Or, or, or that. There's nothing like that in the Bible. That is totally against the grain of what Christianity is all about and why Jesus Christ died for us and why he established the church. Do you realize that over the years, we have not only fellowship together, but we've worked together. We've worked side by side, all of the church projects we had and the fundraisers that we had, and we learned to work with one another because we're going to live forever in God's kingdom, and we're gonna be working and serving Jesus Christ for all eternity. And if we can't get used to working together and getting along with one another in this life, What's it going to be like for you for all eternity? All those people that you couldn't stand, and now all of a sudden you're there with them for all eternity. You know, God wants us to work as a team. He wants us to be a family. That's why it's so important to come to church, and especially today as we take the Lord's Supper together. Now, as far as people who are not believers, you know, unbelievers can be present at the Lord's Supper service. To observe, I always say when it's time to come forward, all those who have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior come forward. You know, come and participate. That's what determines whether you can come up here or not. If you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't believe He's your Savior, then no, you can be here as uh, an observer. But uh, don't come forward unless you have faith in Jesus as your Savior. But, uh, We welcome unbelievers here to be present with us. There's nothing secretive about the Lord's Supper service. It's open to the public to be here, but only if you have faith in Jesus as your Savior should you come forward and take of the symbols. This is a public act of worship of the gathered church. So it used to be for you old timers years and years ago that when we had our communion service once a year, It was very private, and if you were not a believer, you weren't even allowed in the building at the time. We used to have ushers at the door, kind of checking names as people came in. But it's not like that anymore. It's a public service. And in fact, Jesus said, or Paul says here in verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if unbelievers are here, and they witness the Lord's Supper service, it's actually a proclamation of the gospel because we talk about what that bread is and what that fruit of the vine is, how it represents Jesus' body and blood. So, you know, if there's an unbeliever here, they're hearing the gospel when they witness a communion service. But only those who truly have faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior should come forward and partake of the symbols. So that's the participants. We talked about the origin, we talked about who can participate. Now let's talk about the physical act itself. Notice as we read in verse 23, it's a very simple ceremony. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me." So look at this table. It's very simple. It's simplistic. I mean, we've got a tablecloth. We've got a couple crosses for decoration. There's a tray for the bread, a tray for the cups, and that's it. There's no fireworks going off up here. <laughs> you know, we play some music in the background when we come up, but it's a very simple, simple Ceremony, it's eating bread and drinking the cup. Now, nothing is specified in the Bible about the kind of bread or the way it's broken. You know, back in the old days, we used to use matzo crackers as part of our celebration. And the the minister used to break them, making loud crunching noises into little bitty pieces. And we, we felt at that time that it had to be unleavened bread. Well, really, when you get right down to it, there's no proof in the Bible. Any kind of bread can be used. At the Last Supper, it could have been leavened bread. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. The only statement about what is in the cup is given in each of the Synoptic Gospels once again. Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, is what he says, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So some churches use wine, in the early years we used to use only one. Some churches use grape juice. There was a time when we were offering both. <laughs> you would come up to the table and we'd have trays and we'd have a little card there, this is wine, this is grape juice. We don't have to argue whether grape juice or wine is used, there's nothing in the text that commands or forbids the one or the other. So I guarantee you that what's in those cups over there came off a vine. It's 100% grape juice. <laughs> no added fillers, no apple juice mixed in, no no, nothing. Okay, it's all from the fruit of the vine. This one is not fermented, but it, I don't think it really matters. And there's nothing in the New Testament about the frequency of the Lord's Supper. Weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, We used to take it once a year. I was raised in the Catholic Church where communion is offered weekly on Sundays, but back in the early years of the Catholic Church when I was growing up, they had mass every day. So they were offering communion every day. But what we have to decide is we want to make sure that we never grow callous to this ceremony. You know, maybe if we have it too often, we kind of lose the meaning of it and we take it for granted. We don't want to have it as rarely as once a year because I think it's something to be enjoyed and participated in more often. So we've decided at least for this time to have it once a month. And right now we're usually at about the last Sunday of the month. So hopefully we've got the right balance there. Uh, We're free to have it as often or as rarely as we want to. God gives us that freedom. Okay, so we've talked about the origin, who can participate, the physical act itself. Now we come to mental preparation for the communion service. We like to announce in advance when we're going to have the communion service. I announced it last Sunday. I said, next Sunday, we're going to be having the communion. So you can kind of keep it in the back of your mind. And whatever you go through to mentally prepare uh, for the communion service, that's, that's up to you. But what we have to do, and what I think God expects us to do, is to focus our minds on Jesus, and especially His historical work in dying for our sins. You know, He said, do this in remembrance of me. So there's an involvement of remembering. You know, I I think years ago, in the early years of our church, we used to I don't know how to quite explain the approach that we took but we almost tried to make people feel as bad a sinner as we possibly can so that they would come to the communion service just mourning and lamenting all of their sins and the sins they've committed all through their life and just made people feel really repentant well i don't think that that's quite the right approach to use sure we can think about our sins and where we're still stumbling And always have a repentant attitude about those things. But as we do the physical act of eating and drinking, we do the mental act of remembering. That's what Jesus asked of us. We call to mind the person of Jesus as he once lived and the work of Jesus as he once died and rose again. And what his sacrifice means for the forgiveness of our personal sins. The bread and the cup, his body and blood. That's the mental preparation that we need to have. You know, it's not right in this day and age for people to be coming up to the communion table with their cell phones in their hands, you know, playing games. Oh yeah, and when they get up here, oh yeah, the bread and wine, I'll take that. and I continue my game on my cell phone. That's not the right approach, you see. That's not the proper mental preparation. Now, God doesn't ask us that much as far as mental preparation is concerned. He says, have respect be aware, be reminded of what these things represent and what God had to go through to prepare them for us and present them for us. That's mental preparation. Next, we come to spiritual benefit. Spiritual benefit. We're to eat, drink, and remember There's nothing inherently spiritual with eating, drinking, and remembering. So for the Lord's Supper to be what Jesus meant it to be, something more must be happening than only eating, drinking, and remembering. Notice in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. Turn one page back earlier in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Notice what Paul says here about the Lord's Supper service or the communion service. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Did not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? So to help us to understand the spiritual benefit of the Lord's Supper service, Paul harkens back to the Old Testament and even coming up to Jesus' day when the people of Israel would bring sacrifices to the altar at the temple. And he said that they participated in that sacrifice. Now what it means is when the Israelites brought their sin offerings to the temple and presented them to the priest at the altar, they participated. They shared or they benefited from what happened at the altar. When the animal was killed, they received forgiveness. They received restored fellowship with God. They benefited from it. There was a blessing for them. They participated in that sacrifice. So he draws that comparison to New Testament times. And he says, just as the Israelites participated in that sacrifice that they brought to the altar, we participate in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with his shed blood. How? Well, when we eat and drink, the cup and the piece of bread that's up here, we share in or benefit from what happened at the cross. By faith, we nourish ourselves with the benefits Jesus obtained for us when he died on the cross forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, which we're now guaranteed, peace with God in our life, joy in Jesus Christ, hope for the future, freedom from fear, guidance in confusion in our lives, God is there to to provide guidance for us. We all benefit from these things when we participate in this service. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we feast spiritually by faith on all the promises of God bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's interesting that he makes that comparison. The Old Testament Israelites bringing a sacrifice to the altar. They're participating in what's happening there. They're benefiting from it. When we come to the Lord's Supper here, to the communion table, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're benefiting, we're participating in what Jesus did on our behalf. And those benefits continue on throughout the rest of our lives for us. So there's a spiritual benefit I think that, you know, it even goes a little bit beyond that. Do you remember the story on the road to Emmaus? After Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it said that there were a couple of disciples walking down this road to Emmaus and all of a sudden Jesus appeared next to them. And they didn't know it was Jesus. And they were talking about everything that had happened that past week the death of this Messiah, this man that they hoped would be the Messiah, he's dead now, and they're confused, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden Jesus starts teaching them. He talks about the Old Testament scripture, and he's explaining how the Old Testament scripture referred to him, and they still weren't getting it, okay? And finally, they invited him to stay the night with him, they said it's a long journey, come on into the inn here and spend the night with us. So they sat down to have a meal, and it said, it wasn't until Jesus broke bread that they understood, that their eyes were open as to who this was that they'd been talking to. This is the resurrected Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden he disappeared. But it's interesting to note that it wasn't until he broke bread that they understood And I think that there's a blessing that comes to us too. Every time we come forward to this table and participate in this ceremony, I think that somehow, and I don't totally understand why or how it happens, but we come to a deeper knowledge and an understanding and an appreciation of who Jesus is when we come up to this table. I think it's kind of a behind the scenes blessing that God provides for us, because he appreciates the fact that we come to this table and have faith in these symbols, we remember Jesus, what he did for us, we're spiritually benefiting from it, but I think sometimes it even goes deeper than we imagine. And I can tell you for sure, I've been a pastor in this church now for about 40 years. Not this congregation, but in Grace Communion International. And I can assure you that we have come a long way in our understanding of who Jesus is. God has brought us a long way to a more personal and deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So we've discussed several things. The origin of the ceremony, the participants, the physical act, the mental preparation, the spiritual benefit, But in this chapter, there's also a seriousness that is explained to us concerning this ceremony. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27, he says, Therefore, so as we read this here, Paul gives us a warning here that the Lord's Supper is not to be taken in a cavalier, callous, careless way that does not discern the seriousness of what happened on the cross. And he said, if you have that wrong attitude toward this ceremony, you may lose your life out of God's discipline, not out of his wrath, but out of God's discipline. So let's just make sure that we follow the advice here. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. In other words, not trusting and treasuring the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man or woman ought to examine himself or herself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. So examine yourself not to see if you're good enough. When you come right down to it, none of us is good enough. We're here by God's grace. And through the grace of God and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is credited to us, yeah, we do have the ability to come to this table. God invites us to the table. God wants us to come to the table. So examine yourself, not to see if you're good enough, but to see if you're willing to trust Jesus for what you need. That's what Paul means here. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So without, as he says here, without recognizing or discerning the body of the Lord. It means when you come up here. The bread is not to be treated like you're eating a fish sandwich. <laughs> and that's what the Corinthians were doing. That's why Paul wrote this letter to them, especially this chapter, criticizing the way they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. It was ridiculous. People were getting drunk. People were bringing in you know, expensive food and having a big feast for themselves. One family would, while another family across the room would have nothing to eat. And he said... <laughs> This is not the Lord's Supper that you're supposed to be eating or participating in. This is nothing by comparison to, to what the Lord's Supper is. So that's what he means without discerning the body of Jesus Christ. You've got to realize what this is all about. We're not sitting around a campfire eating s'mores. Here. <laughs> okay, This is a, a ceremony that Jesus instituted and we have to have the proper respect and faith when it comes to it. So he goes on to say, verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, in other words died. So not out of God's wrath but out of God's discipline this has happened to some people. Now this doesn't mean that everyone who is weak, sick or has died it was guilty of taking the Lord's supper in the wrong way. No. Because people get weak and sick and die for other reasons. So we're not to judge one another in this respect. He says in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves, we should not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. And they're the ones who are going to be judged and condemned for not following Jesus Christ not receiving him as Lord and Savior. He says in verse 33, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. (laughs) If anyone is hungry, you should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result on judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So we have the blessing of having Paul's encouragement and corrections here to apply to us. And as far as I can tell, we're keeping this ceremony just the way Jesus would have wanted us to do it and just the way Paul would have wanted us to do it. Don't read too much into these instructions. Like I said, in times past we've had people who just didn't feel that they were worthy enough, that they were too much of a sinner. You know what? We're all still sinners. We're forgiven sinners. You know, we're sinners who have this banner over us, forgiven. (laughs) We are forgiven of our sins. We, by the blood of Jesus Christ, live in a state of forgiveness. So God understands our situation, and he wants us. He urges us to come to the table, to participate in these symbols because there's important spiritual meaning, spiritual blessing, and spiritual growth that takes place when we do it.